give the praise team and the choir a shout out. You guys have done so amazing worship in the Lord and I was thinking about it uh, this week. Elaine has been here, is it 31 years now? And um, she just continues to, amen, continues to lead us in great worship. And Stephen just celebrated three years with us recently. So appreciate our music worship team. As you can tell, we're doing part two in our message, The Armor of God. And uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 6, and for those of you who weren't here last week, I am going to briefly review what we covered and then jump into the part two of this message. So if you would, please go to the Lord with me in prayer. Father, we're getting ready to talk about a topic that we all wrestle with, and it's spiritual warfare. So many times we're going through a battle and we don't realize the cause of it is spiritual. And Father, I pray as we look at the battle, as we look at our enemy, And as we look at the provision that you've given us to stand firm in the midst of the battle, we pray you'd give us wisdom. We commit this this message to you and pray your blessing would be upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you remember the last time you went through what we would consider a battle, spiritual warfare? Um, I have a, a lot of stories from my days in church planning. My wife Lori and I were talking about those four years of church planning You're kind of like a missionary, and you go through a lot of battles, it seems like, continual. And I remember one, and this will kind of make make your chill bumps stand out when I tell you this story. It's a true story, and none of it's made up, so I have to clarify. Sometimes when you hear preacher stories, sometimes you think they're like fishing stories, right? How big was the fish really? So uh, a group of us went downtown Asheville to help feed the homeless, and we had uh, peanut butter and jelly and things like that and brown bags and passed out water. And we were, we were giving out lunches and also uh, kind of doing a prayer walk. And our hope was to show the love of Christ and have the opportunity, perhaps, if we could share the gospel with someone, that was kind of our ultimate goal. So as we were handing out uh, PB&J and bottled water, we came up to this one character and we could tell he was a little hesitant. And we asked him, uh, can we pray for you? And he, with a very cold voice, said, no. Um, can we give you some food? No. So anyways, we dismissed herself. And as we were leaving, um, his eyes were, were so, let's just say, creepish. Um, and in a, in a weird, cold voice, he said, I'll see you later, Timothy. And I was like, oh, my goodness. This, this, this really is frightening. So... I just dismissed it. It creeped me out a little bit, but I went on my way. And I'm not the type that has dreams a lot. If I do, it's probably because I ate pizza the night before. But I I had a dream that I really think was significant. And sometimes you have those dreams and you know this is something spiritual. So I had a dream about two shadowy figures dragging me away in the darkness. I couldn't see their faces, what they looked like, but they were dragging me away. And I was trying to wrestle myself to get out of the grasp of these shadowy figures, and I woke up. Talk about waking up in a cold sweat. You're just like, this is traumatic. So at the time, we were renting another church's building as a church. We we had to use another church um, on Sunday afternoons, and I went to go pay the rent, and the church secretary said, "Um, you won't believe this, but some guy was looking for you. I'm like, really? Uh, Who was he? And it was some guy at the time. We had a television ministry, and he had seen the show, and I think he was coming to set me straight, not to give a word of encouragement. So thankfully, I dodged that bullet. 
And you always get the, the chills when someone comes looking for you, and you're like, I, I don't know who that is. So, uh, and that was guy number one in the shadowy dream, I found out later. So a few days later, this was in the same week, um, we became the target of an Internet terrorist. And I don't know if you know what an Internet terrorist is, kind of like an Internet bully, where they just randomly select you. So it was some guy who lived in Wilmington, North Carolina, and he decided to target two churches in Asheville. I don't know why. Um, he supposedly was planning on moving here. So we were one of the churches, lucky us, that he decided to target. And he started sending hate mail to everybody on our church fan page. You know, on Facebook they have a group page. And so he started messaging one by one. And he would copy and paste like five pages of just hate mail. And it was some gibberish you couldn't understand about the church and being a cult. And it was just weird cryptic language. And he started messaging my wife, and you mess with my wife, then, it, then it's on. And he started threatening he was going to split up our marriage and divide up our family. We had never met this guy, didn't know who he was. So the other pastor and I talked that was target of, of this guy, and he contacted, it was like the SBI, and they were able to shut this guy down for illegal activity. But the guy had threatened to come to church on a Sunday morning, and you guys know with um, these stories of churches, you've got to be on high alert. So we had a bodyguard ready. And the guy never showed up. And I was, that was shadowy figure number two in the dream. And what I learned from all of that is you better be prayed up. At the time, I didn't think about praying about the guy who said, I'll see you later, Timothy. I didn't realize this was a spiritual warfare getting ready to happen. I didn't realize that Satan was organized and he had an army of people. And I was the target that week. But I learned a lot from that example. And this passage today, we're going to read about spiritual warfare. And the caveat is we're not to be afraid of it. We're not to, as I mentioned last week, see a demon around every corner or just be super spiritual where you're, everything is an attack on the devil. Sometimes it's a headache. Sometimes it's not an attack of the devil. So not everything's a, a, a spiritual attack, but some things are. So we're going to look at Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, if you'll read with me. It says, Finally, my brethren... Be strong in the Lord and in the, in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, and he lists four categories, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand an evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, by which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation, which is the, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. May God bless His holy Word. So if you weren't here last week, you'll have to go back and listen to the podcast. But just by review, we need to pull on the full armor of God. The first reason is recognize that you are weak, Satan is strong, but God is stronger. Something you may not realize, but did you know Satan doesn't have unlimited power and strength? 
something I learned through this message, you know, Satan can get tired. He's not all powerful like God. Sometimes you remember Satan tempted Jesus 40 days and then he left him. Did you realize Satan can get tired? He's not all powerful. He's also not everywhere present like God. Usually Satan has bigger fish to fry. He's attacking higher up people than you or I. So it's usually not him attacking us. It's one of his fallen angels that are against us. So realize that even though you're weak, God is stronger. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The second point we talked about last week, understand that Satan is scheming against you. It says that we are to put on the whole armor of God because Satan, his wiles are against us. And we talked about that word wiles is the Greek word methodia. And it's where we get a word methodology. Did you realize that Satan has a plan and a strategy and he's predictable? And we're going to talk about that later in the message. And he knows your weakness. You may not realize this, but he's been around for a few thousand years. So his fallen angels have observed your parents, your grandparents, your whole family line. So guess what? The weaknesses that you've struggled with, they've seen them throughout the ages. He knows your weaknesses better than you do. So beware. The word wrestle we talked about in the original language, it it has the picture of hand-to-hand combat. And the idea is a battle that's up close and personal. So whenever you're going through a spiritual battle, realize it's not the person. The person's not the problem. It's the spiritual influences motivating that person to do wrong. And you're like, well, that sounds easy enough. But if you knew my family member, if you knew my boss, you would understand. Well, I, I understand that. But we talked about last week. Think about the, the leaders throughout history that all the countries said, if we could just put down Joseph Stalin, if we could just put down Hitler, if we could just take out Osama bin Laden, all the world's problems would be over. And guess what? They were taken down and a new set of problems arose. That shows you people are not the problem. It's spiritual wickedness that we cannot see, invisible force. So we need to put on the full armor of God. The third point in your listening, God, if you'll follow along, and there's a lot of material here, so this will help you stay on track with me. Number three, we're, we're to take on the full armor of God because we need to believe that you can overcome the enemy by putting on the full armor. And last week we talked about the first three pieces. The first piece was this, the belt of truth. Did you realize that Satan is constantly attacking truth? I mean, you don't have to look any further than the church. So many churches, it's kind of like they'll take the stand, like we're against this issue. But once the culture pushes back, they take a step back and, okay, we're okay with it. And then another issue, and you guys have lived longer than me, you know every decade there's a major issue in the church. And a lot of churches keep taking a step back. Okay, we're not going to go against it. But last time I checked, truth doesn't change. Truth remains the same. Now, we're to speak the truth in love. You're not to be a legalistic church where it's rules and regulations, but you're to stand for truth. So here's the thing about the belt of truth. It's really important for two reasons. Number one, it was the first piece of armor that the soldier put on, and it held all the armor intact. That's, that's one important reason. Number two, the belt of truth also helped you move freely. We talked about the Old, Old Testament and New where it says, gird up the loins of your mind. That was the idea of you would wear this this kind of robe, and you would bring it up and tuck it in your belt so it would become like a pair of shorts. So truth frees you up. It frees you to run the race that God has given you. That's the belt of truth. And as we cover each of these areas, if you're taking notes, we've got to realize the battleground is in four areas. The first one is in your mind. 
Did you know like Satan loves to set up encampments in your mind? I'm not saying a Christian can be possessed. That's, that's not the case. But a Christian can be oppressed. Satan sends fiery darts at your mind. Also, the enemy likes to attack your emotions. So the major attack is, the first one is you, in your mind. The second attack is in your home. You guys ever felt Satan attack your home? The third attack is your workplace. And the fourth battleground is not only in your home and in your mind and your workplace, but your fourth battleground is spiritual. And it's sometimes areas you can't see. And the Bible says our wrestle, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers. So we have this spiritual battle going on inside, out, out around us. And the Bible says that we're to take up the full armor of God. And he's going to allow this to protect us. So let's look at the second piece we talked about last week. The breastplate of righteousness. And the breastplate would cover the vital internal organs. So that's like the heart. So did you realize that Satan likes to attack your emotions? Often in the Bible, the heart was considered the seat of emotions. And the devil loves to attack your emotions. He loves to, uh, to use a term like my kids, make a playground of your emotions. Like everything's fun until disaster strikes. And your emotions are all over the place. But I want you to understand that the righteous breastplate you wear is not because of anything you've done. It's because you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Whenever you say, I do to God, and you invite Him into your life, let me read you a scripture of what happens. 2 Corinthians 5.21 It says, For God made Him, talking about Jesus, who knew no sin, to become the righteous, so that we can become the righteousness of Christ in Him. So think about that. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that we could become the righteousness of Christ in Him. Isn't that beautiful? The Bible says our righteousness are like filthy rags. But you know, when you invite Jesus into your life, His righteousness is there. So you have positional righteousness, but also in a battle, you're to have practical righteousness. Because how many of you know if you've walked from a distance from the Lord, it's hard to stand strong in a battle? Because Satan, he's the accuser of the brethren, and he will accuse you. And even though you've been forgiven, Satan can mute your Christian testimony. So Paul says, not only put on the belt of truth, but wear the righteousness of Christ. Because that will help you stand strong in a battle. Amen. Number three, we talked about last week, the gospel shoes of peace. One of the major things in a battle is standing your ground. And the the number one thing you need in a battle is peace. And if Satan can rob your peace, he can cause you to go backwards. And you notice throughout this whole scripture, it says to stand or withstand four times. That's the goal. It's not to gain ground in this passage, which as we share the gospel, we do gain ground. But in this passage, the goal is not to lose ground, to stand. So whenever we realize that God has saved us, he's forgiven us, all of a sudden we have peace to stand, even in the midst of the battle. And we talked about these sandals. Uh, What's interesting in the Greco-Roman society They would put like studs or nails in the bottom of them, almost like modern day cleats. And that was the purpose is when you were doing hand to hand combat, you would not lose ground. So we're to have the belt of truth. Let truth be the piece that holds your life together. We're to have the breastplate of righteousness that we are forgiven 
And that protects our emotions from attack. And also we're to know that we know that we know that we're saved. And if we know that we're right with God, we can have peace even in the midst of the most gruesome battle. Amen. Well, let's talk about the three new weapons we didn't talk about last week. The fourth one is this, the shield of faith. The Bible says that we're to take up the shield of faith. Now, there were two types of faith in the Greco-Roman world. There was the first shield that was kind of like this. It was small and kind of looked like a, a rounded disc. And that, that was one shield. The, the Greek word uh, that Paul uses for this is not the small rounded shield. It's the large shield. In fact, it, it was almost the size of a door. It was four foot by two and a half foot. And that's big. So the idea is... Whenever, as a church, you put your shields together, look what happens. Look at this picture. This is something many of you have seen the movie Gladiator. Um, this is what's called the Roman flanks. And the idea was whenever a battle would come and the enemy would come charging, you could put your shields together and you could put your shields on top. And that would stop and quench the flaming arrows that would come. And what's beautiful about the shield is that they would often wrap the shield in metal or really tough uh, leather. And also they would dip it in water to extinguish the tar that was in the fiery darts. So here's the thing. Satan has fiery darts that he's throwing at you. And his strategies have been the same throughout time. If you look at your listening guide, there's three major types of temptations. The first one is the lust of the flesh. Anything you desire that will hinder your relationship with God. So here's what Satan whispers in your ear. If it makes you feel good, it can't be that bad. Just follow your heart. Let go and let it flow. If you've listened to TV or even talks to give in school, follow your heart. That's that's Satan's mantra, by the way. Follow your heart. If it feels good, do it. And that's the lust of the flesh. And the second temptation that Satan throws at us is the lust of the eyes. A temptation that captivates your eyes and tries to capture your heart away from your first love, Jesus Christ. And what Satan whispers in this temptation is, this looks so good, it must be just for you. Go ahead, nobody will know. God just wants you to be happy, right? And that's something he whispers. And many of you, we laugh because he's told us that same lie. The third one is the pride of life. It's my desire to be first place, to seem important, and to have people make my personal dreams come true. You can have it your way, right? So Satan, his whisper is, if you don't take care of yourself, nobody else will. Anything you want, you can have it. Just set your mind to it and you can do it. Follow your dreams. What about if it's your dream and not God's dream? See, a lot of times we're chasing after a dream that maybe is in our heart, but not in God's mind. And what, what, what Christianity, how it's so radical, it tells us to lay our dreams at the cross. And God will give you bigger and better dreams. The Bible says take up your cross and follow him, not follow your dreams. Right? What if your dreams are kingdom dreams? What if your dreams are only about you and not about God in the world? God, God's dreams that he gives you not only blesses your life, but it blesses the world. And all of you are called to be modern day missionaries. As we joked around a few weeks ago, the Bible says that we're all priests in Christ. And that the ministry is shared among all of us so that you can wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Reverend, because we're all called to ministry. We're all called to the gospel ministry. Amen. So 
Many of you have heard of uh, Judson. He was a missionary to uh, Burma. And he was chained to bamboo sticks. And one of the one of the heathen in the jail said, well, what about the prospects of converting the heathen and joking with Judson? And I want you to listen to what Judson said to this guy. He says, the future is as bright as the promises of God. What was Judson doing? Having 32 pounds of chains and being in a prison and not feeling like he's doing very much. He had the shield of faith because he believed God's got a plan. Even when I don't understand, God's got a plan. And you know the shield of faith, it says it can quench what? All the fire darts of the wicked. So when you take up the shield of faith, as I mentioned, it's a pretty big one. Two and a half by four feet. Um, that's a pretty big shield. And by the way, when you put yours together with the church, because this is written to the church at what? Ephesus. Um, together you can quench an assault from the enemy. Now here's what, and I've heard this from many people in today's culture. You know, I don't need the church. I'm just going to sit and watch Brother Charles Stanley, which he's great, by the way, on my television. He's better than any pastor I could hear anyways. And, you know, um, I'll send my money to a nonprofit, and I really don't need the church. You know what that's saying? That's like an, a soldier in the army saying, I don't need my troops. I'm just going to fight this battle alone. Because someone on television and is not going to be there when, when the battle gets tough. You need the people around you. You need the church. So that's the picture of putting your shields together. That's the shield of faith. Amen. The fifth element is the helmet of salvation. And this would be something that you're to carry with you, but it was so hot that generally you wouldn't put it on until the battle was fierce and intense. You'd put the helmet of salvation on. And the, the helmet of salvation is basically having your mind protected by the fact that God has saved you, he is saving you and he will save you. And you're like, what does that mean? Well, whenever a person confesses their sin and they invite Jesus into their life, they become a new creation, the Bible says, you are saved. That's what the Bible calls justification. It's being saved from sin's penalty. But did you realize God's not through with you yet? He's still saving you? And that's what, that's what we call sanctification. That's being saved from sin's power. And part of the Christian journey is, I'm not a slave to sin anymore. God has set me free. So I, I'm going to walk this Christian life in victory. I'm going to stand strong. So that's being saved from sin's power. But did you realize there is a future salvation? It's what theologians call the glorification. So in the past, I've been saved from sin's penalty. In the present, I'm being saved from sin's power. And by the way, in the future, I'm going to be saved from sin's present presence. Isn't it amazing that there's going to be no presence of sin in eternity? I'm going to love that day. Brownlow North was, uh, this story is for Paul Hunt, wherever he's at. He was a famous British pastor. And um, before God had called him into the ministry, as you could tell from the picture, just kidding, uh, he, was saved, he was saved from a very sinful lifestyle. I mean, he had been there, done that party lifestyle. So some of his party friends had heard that he had become a pastor and were like, not Brownlow, this guy is a party animal. He's a pastor now? So all of his party buddies got together and they said, you know what, we're going to have to share with his congregation what kind of wretch they have for a pastor. So right before his Sunday sermon, they came into his office, talk about a way to mess up a pastor's sermon, right? They come into his office and they gave him a document. He was wondering why all of his former friends were there. Like, are you giving your life to Christ? No, we're here to share with your congregation what type of pastor they had. 
So they had listed every sin that they had saw him commit with the people, the time, the place, the long record of all his sins. And they said, if you don't go out there and read this to your congregation, we will, because we want them to know what type of pastor they have. So what would you do if you were Brownlow North? Um, He took the sheet of paper, and with much intrepidation, he went before his congregation, and he read the letter to them. Which I don't know if I would advise at the time, but he read it. Every sin they had wrote down, he read it to them. And as you can imagine, the congregation, their faces were shocked. Like, I can't believe we just called this pastor. We thought he was going to leave this church, and this, he's a party guy. I mean, look what kind of pastor we have. And as he read the letter, he saw their faces shocked. And he said, unfortunately, every word of this is true. But isn't it good that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin? That is the helmet of salvation. Amen. So here's the thing. If you have invited Christ into your life, don't let Satan attack you with your past. It's kind of like illustration I use to students is, um, you remember, this is the days before Microsoft Word where they auto-saved everything. Do you guys ever type up something and lose like 10 pages in a document? I know Judge Martin has. Um, I really did not like that until they had the auto-save. But imagine your life, all the written record against you. And all of a sudden the power goes out and the power comes back on. Everything's erased. And that's what happens in your life. When you become a Christian, Satan's power is out, God's power is on, and your past is erased. So when Satan comes against you and attacking your mind, there's no document. It's forgiven. I'm in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. Uh, Some of you are in the medical world and you've heard of Michael Faraday. He was a scientist in the 1800s who continued to develop modern anesthesia. And um, he, he was a great Christian, very solid Christian. And on his deathbed, a reporter asked him, uh, do you have any speculations about where you're going to go when you die? Because he was a scientist and um, they wondered if he had speculations. Listen to what he said. Speculations, said the dying man in astonishment. I know nothing about speculations. I'm resting on certainties. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed against that day. He said that on his deathbed. The helmet of salvation protects your mind. Here's the thing, folks. You can know that you know that you know that you're saved. You don't have to doubt your salvation. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, this verse is for you. 1 John 5, 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And here's the thing. It says in Hebrews, I believe it's chapter 2, somewhere, verses 14 and 15. It says Satan has used the fear of death to hold people captive. Did you know one of Satan's greatest darts is fear? And if he can get you to fear death, if he can get you to fear the unknown, he can even take a Christian and set up a foothold, set up a stronghold in their life. But you know what? The helmet of salvation says, even if I was to drop dead today, I'm better off today than I was yesterday because I'm in the presence of the Lord. So you no longer have to fear dying. Only fear the unlived life. Amen. Number six. So we've talked about the belt of truth. Truth holds your life together. We've talked about the sword. We're getting ready to talk about the sword of the spirit. We've talked about the shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. The gospel shoes of peace. And finally, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. This is the only offensive weapon we see on the armor. And by the way, a side note to you uh, biblical students. 
Um, most of these pieces of armor not only came from the Greco-Roman soldier, but these are found, many of them, in Isaiah, where it talks about the helmet and, and different things, the breastplate of righteousness. A lot of these imageries are in the Old Testament, which Paul had the soldier and the Old Testament look at. But the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It, what's interesting, if you look at your listening guide, uh, when it says the Word of God, there's two types of words in the New Testament. There's the Logos and the Rhema. And often these are interchangeable. But a lot of Bible scholars have pointed out the Logos is basically the written word. And Jesus is the living Logos. He's the living word. But whenever it uses the word rhema, this is the spoken word. And we see this when Jesus was tempted. Satan would come at him with the temptation and Jesus would say, it is written. Satan would come at him, he would say, it is written. So did you realize that this sword of the Spirit is a special word of God for the trial you're in. So right now, if you're dealing with a health crisis, do you know there's so many verses about the Lord God healing you? You've got to claim those verses. If there are verses about depression, you know there are verses that say the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're financially struggling, there's verses all throughout the Bible that says God is your provider. So whatever you're going through, you need to memorize words so you can have rhema. A spoken word that goes to that occasion. Tom Lehman, for those of you who are into golf, um, he was on the PGA Tour. And he had a great successful year. He won three different times leading up to this. And right when he was getting ready to go on the PGA Tour, he had arrived. They do the annual physical exam for golfers. And they found out this suspicious place in his colon that looked like cancer. And he and his wife just really were gripped by fear. They're like, I've worked so hard all my life to be on the PGA. Now I've got potential cancer. And what they did is they memorized Joshua 1.9. And this may be a word for some of you. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So they had a spot removed. And they had been quoting this, this rhema over and over. Deuteronomy, or excuse me, Joshua 1.9. And they found out that he was cancer free. And he used his Christian faith to get him through. You know what? No matter what happens, God's with me. God's for me. Do you know God not only loves you, but he likes you. And he's for you. And he's got good plans. So Satan's strategy, if you look on your listening guide, is to make your faith to be ineffective. To neutralize you as a witness. And what, what he wants you to do with the sword of the Spirit is to claim God's promises. The promises of God are yes and amen. So God wants you to hide his word in your heart. So not only that you won't sin against him, but that you can be victorious when the enemy comes against you. Amen. But there's a seventh weapon. It's, this is a bonus one. This is one that most messages we skip over, but um, everyone in the prayer ministry would agree that this is an effective weapon. This is the secret invisible weapon. It's the P3 weapon. Passionate and persistent prayer. Look at verse 18. It says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Many of you are familiar with Charles Haddon Spurgeon. In his great Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, there was a fellowship hall. And he would have a big throng of people praying for him while he was preaching. And whenever he felt spiritual warfare in the pulpit, he would stomp his foot. And that was a sign, pray harder because the devil's attacking. 
He would stomp his foot. And the people under him could hear him. They, they just would pray. Spurgeon's under attack. Because you know what? This is the invisible weapon that makes the belt of truth come alive in your life. That makes the sword of the spirit. That gives you the word. The helmet of salvation. The, the, the breastplate. The, the shoes. All of this. It makes all of the six pieces of armor of God become enlivened. Because prayer changes things. If you look at your listening guide, here's a few tips from this one verse I want, I want to leave you with. Here's how you unleash the power of prayer. Pray persistently. Notice it says praying always with all perseverance. You've got to keep praying. Don't give up. Pray persistently. Matthew 7, 7 says, ask and it shall be given. Seek, knock, keep doing it. Don't give up. This number two, pray comprehensively. So not only are you to be consistent, you're to be comprehensive. Notice it says, with all prayer for all the saints. Did you realize that you can pray for big things and small things? You know, I've heard pastor, pastors rebuke people for praying for parking spots. Did you know that God can handle the cancer and the parking spot at the same time? I mean, there's nothing too big or too small. Don't limit God's power. So pray comprehensively. Pray personally for others and for yourself. That's the word supplication, to make specific personal requests for others and for yourself. Pray with assistance. Notice it says, in the what? In the Spirit. Have you ever noticed when you're in the Spirit, He kind of lifts you up above your circumstances? He kind of makes you soar even when you feel like you're down and defeated. The Spirit lifts you up, gives you life. And also, number five, pray with expectation. So we pray persistently, comprehensively, personally, with assistance, and with expectation. It says be watchful. Are you watchful when you pray? Do you expect God to actually answer you? Are you kind of like the story of Rhoda, the servant girl, when they're praying for Peter to get released, and they knock on the door, and Rhoda answers, and they think it's Peter's ghost. They've just been praying all night for him to be released, and when the the answer comes, they don't believe it. Many of us are like the servant girl. We just don't believe it. So, just as a review... We have an enemy that's coming against us. He's organized. He's strategized. He has these methods. But you know what? Satan is strong, but God is stronger. And he's given us every piece of armor so that we can stand victorious. But notice it says we're to take on the full armor of God. We're to have the belt of truth. We're to have the breastplate of righteousness. We're to have the gospel shoes of peace. We're to have the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. But in all of that, don't forget, prayer is the great activator. Prayer is that which breaks down walls and shatters kingdoms. Amen. So here's your one truth to rethink for for this message. To summarize part one and part two in one sentence. If you want to still be standing in the end, you must put on the full armor of God at the beginning. Meaning right now. Today. So here's your action step. Just in the next few days. As you get up tomorrow morning, just try this. Each morning, pray over each piece of armor. God, I pray that you would give me the belt of truth. Help me not to walk in my truth, but God's truth. Because God's the only one who's completely true. God, give me the helmet of salvation. Help me to know that I am saved and protect my mind. God, my emotions sometimes go crazy. Protect my heart. Give me the breastplate of righteousness. Knowing that I'm right with you. I don't care what else happens. If God is for me. Who can be against me? And God, give me the shoes of peace. 
And help me to be willing to share the gospel, not to hold it to myself, not to keep my peace, but to have the peace to stand strong in the midst of the battle and to share the good news that Jesus saves. And he wants to give you eternal life if you will repent of your sins and believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And finally, the sword of the Spirit. When Satan comes against you, have that word treasured in your heart like a precious jewel. So when he comes against you, just like Jesus did in the wilderness, you can come back and say, it is written. Are you guys ready to stand up and be soldiers of the cross? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, your word is so powerful. God, I know there are many here who are either being attacked, coming out of an attack, or going into attack. And if that's you right now with no one looking around, if you just raise your hand and say, Timothy, I'm, I'm under assault right now. I need God's grace. Thank you. See hands. God, you see all the hands lifted. I pray that they would take up each piece of armor. And God, if there's one piece that they haven't been holding on to, whether it be the word of God for that certain occasion, the spoken rhema, or whether it be the lack of peace, or whether it be I just don't feel righteous, help them know it's not their righteousness, it's Christ's righteousness. Whatever piece of armor that they need to take up, I pray they would. And if there's one here today that would say, Timothy, this whole armor thing, It sounds great, but I've never even put on the armor. I've never given my life to Christ. Right where you're sitting, if you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he rose again, and you're willing to surrender your life to him, the Bible says that he will give you the breastplate of righteousness. He will say, child, you are forgiven. So right where you're sitting, no magical prayer, but a prayer of faith and confession. Say something like this, Jesus, I believe that you're God that you died on the cross and you rose again for my sins. I ask and pray that you would forgive me of my sins. I turn from them. I choose not to stay in them. I turn from them. I make you my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, come into my life and give me a new life. And thank Him. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Father, you know all of our prayers. Lord, as we continue on in our service, I pray that you would raise up a mighty army, that we could put our shields together, And we can march and stand our ground in this world full of sinking sand. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen.